Well, hello to our Loudwater Outfitters community out there. Hope you're all doing well today. Thank you for taking the time to stop by. This is the Loudwater Outfitters podcast, hosted by myself, the Palmetto Sleuth. Well, again, guys and gals, welcome to the show. Appreciate you taking the time to see what we've got going on this week. We have an episode that's a little different than what we've been doing. We're actually going to have the mother and the sister of a missing person locally. We did a phone interview with them a couple days ago, so uh, we're going to have that on the show. I think you'll enjoy it. They have a lot to say, not too happy, but also unfiltered, and hey, only way to be. But two lovely ladies enjoyed talking with them. My heart goes out to them. I know they're dealing with a tough situation, but like so many others, like I explained to them, you know, they're not the only one, and there are a lot of people out there that do care and, and do hope that, you know, families in this situation can find some type of closure. So there is support out there, and I think that was a good thing for them. So, again, I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, what we're going to do here is talk a little bit about this case first. This is the case of Michael Thrasher missing out of the Honeypath, Williamston area of South Carolina, which would be Anderson County, which is my hometown, my home county. So, hey, shout out there. But he went missing August 5th of 2017. That would be over five and a half years ago. So we're approaching the six-year mark. I, I can only imagine how difficult this is. Uh, I felt my heart went out to them so much. that The sister's pretty strong. Sister's upset. Mother's pretty strong. Mother's more upset. You know, they, they, they just want answers. That all the, they just want their son and brother back. At this point, that's all they care about. They just want some type of closure, but more importantly, they want, you know, so, so as far as contact with the proper authorities and, and going back and forth and figuring out, they, I, I know there, there's been a few issues, feeling that they didn't seem to be very sympathetic towards the situation or felt like they were being blown off a little bit at times. And, and I know that's frustrating, like I was explaining to them, you know, I, I understand you know, having been in law enforcement, you know, I, I understand how that can happen. It's not necessarily meant to be on purpose or what have you. It's just, you know, you, you do so much in this type of line of work, this job, that you know, sometimes you say or do things without really realizing. But again, you, you've got to stop right there. You've always got to think every time you've got somebody in front of you that's a victim or the family of a victim you've got to understand they're not in your shoes. You've got to put yourself in those shoes. So anyway, that's my little soapbox for the day. Uh, but yeah, Michael, he was 41 years old the day that he went missing. Uh, his birth date is 7. That would be July 25th of 1976. At the time, he was five foot six, roughly between 130, 150 pounds. Uh, as his mother stated, he generally kept his head shaved. He may have had, like, you know, some facial growth around the chin, mustache, or just, you know, two- or three-day growth, kind of like what most of us guys like to do. Uh, again, he was white male, blonde hair, blue eyes. He, uh, he was last seen, which obviously was August 5th. And let me just thumb up here. I'm just pulling some information up to refresh myself. Uh, he left a friend's house, again, around the Honeypath area. And had left a few of his personal belongings behind, but that was it. Last time he was heard from or ever seen again. So, 
the mother and sister and I, like I said, we had a good phone interview, good conversation about some things. They told me a few things about some of his belongings, and I think they had a couple of questions where we ended up talking afterwards for a little bit. And they're going to do something that I thought was actually a pretty good idea, and that was one thing I have to say that uh, kind of touched me and caught me, that here going on almost six years, and they have not – they have not let up. You know, they're still full steam ahead. They're going to get together with other people and family members that have been involved in the search for Mr. Michael. And they're going to kind of like rewrite all their notes, so to speak, write down everything that each individual person remembers, you know, kind of go through their notes, put all this stuff together, kind of redo things and kind of revisit it again. And I told him actually that that is a good idea. Sometimes you may remember something that you forgot in the past. Somebody else may be in the same boat. But I told her, absolutely, once you get that done, reach out to Michael and I. We will be more than happy to meet up with you guys, and we'll look through it and see if we can pick out or see anything. So good idea, good idea. That's a piece of advice we pass on all of you that are listening. It never hurts to go back and revisit and just kind of, like they said, you know, just write down all over again everything that you know and remember. Because sometimes – you can forget things, or maybe somebody else sees something in what you put down that you didn't see. So that's a great idea. I was really impressed with that one. So again, going to talk here in just a moment with uh, the mother, Jackie Thrasher, and the uh, sister. Her name was April. So like I said, two, two lovely ladies going through a very difficult thing like so many others, but uh, I think you enjoy the conversation. It, it, it's a fairly long one, but again... It's well worth it, so appreciate you guys taking the time to listen. You know, help us spread the word, help us spread awareness for this family in the hopes that somewhere out there, somebody, somehow, some way, they know something, say something, and they'll reach out and help this family find closure. So, again, here in just a moment, we're going to jump on this and uh, start the interview. Hey, ladies, my name's John with Loudwater Outfitters. Um, Hello. Give you, how are you ladies doing today? Good. Good. Who am I speaking with again? This is Jackie, Michael's mom. Okay. And I'm April, his sister. Okay, okay. Well, I know y'all had talked with uh, Michael, the owner of Loudwater, here just a few weeks ago. I know he did an original interview with you ladies on the Zoom. And I know, well, I think it was about two weeks ago, he came out couple waterways of interest and did some sonar and did some checking there so i know y'all had expressed interest with him about uh about doing a podcast episode with us so now that we finally had a chance for our schedules to meet here i figured uh this would be a great time like i said we've introduced ourselves everybody's kind of familiar with the backdrop so i think what we'll do from here is and it doesn't matter either or can talk you both can take turns however you want to do it just as long as you're comfortable but just kind of just just tell us what happened and kind of give us a background about Michael and, and the whole situation. Well, my name is Jackie. I'm Michael's mom. Uh, Michael went missing August the 7th of 2017. It's when we filed the missing persons report. Um, the last time I seen or spoke with Michael was in June of 2017. And he kind of just went off the radar for a little while. So 
he had gotten a check in the mail, and at that time we realized something was wrong, and that's when my daughter April filed a missing persons report on Michael. We've had several tips, we've got several suspects, but nothing concrete enough to tell us where Michael is. At this point, we really think we're searching for remains. I know my son, and if he was around, he would have done contacted us. He's got two grandbabies. One is five, and the other one is four. He's got two grown boys, 24 and 22. And I know Michael would not went a day or two without trying to get in contact with his children or grandchildren. Right, right. Wow, so we're going, that's what, 17? Oh, man. Yeah, we're going into our sixth year. Wow. When was the last time y'all got any type of, like, I guess you say a, a new lead or any new information, anything like that? It's, we got the last tip we got was really about three weeks ago. Uh, we told our, had a guy call us first and give us the information he had. And we had him to call our detective, who was Jody Culberson with Williamson PD. And the young man called our detective and he told him that it was hearsay, that he's working a cold case and he just can't go around digging up people's yards. And that was the end of the tip. But the whole time Michael's been missing, the whole going, like I said, going into our sixth year, we've had three main suspects that names have been called over and over. And it's just kind of brushed to a side. He says, our detective tells us he can't give enough evidence and he just can't put people in jail, you know, without some hardcore evidence. And when we ask him why we keep hearing the same names, he just blows it off of the room and says it's just rumors, just hearsay. But to me, saying people's names are called for going into six years, then some, and there must be more than just a rumor. And I think even the other day when uh, Michael went out on the water, he said time he got back in his truck, one of our suspects' name was called to him. That somebody reached out to him, I think on Michael's page and told him, you need to go check this boy's land. And it was one of our suspects. Wow. Wow. What? People just don't vanish. Williamson is a real small town. Even the area they say that he's missing in is Pelzer, South Carolina, where they say his remains are. That's a small town. We feel like somebody knows something, but because of Michael's addiction and the drug use and the people that he associated with. I think it's just a dangerous game and they scared to say anything. We've got a $12,000 reward, but we can't get enough hard evidence to charge nobody. Right. You you know, and the sad thing is y'all were not the first family to express the same type of information about, based on someone's background or some of their history, what's happened or what people may or may not know or think. And just doesn't seem to be like a whole lot gets done. You kind of feel like, you know, because of who it is or, or their, their past, no one really cares that much. And that's, that's the one we feel, you know, 
it don't matter what Michael done or his background, he's my child, April's brother, and he was still a human being, and he did not deserve to be just thrown away like a dog. Absolutely. Or if you killed him, you killed him. That's bad enough. So why didn't you just leave him where we could find him, you know, and get some closure? Right. But no, that's what we don't understand. Why don't you just leave him somewhere? And I'm sure they did leave him somewhere, but nobody can find him. <sighs> Was... I'm trying to remember because he and I had talked, Michael and I had talked a few times. Wasn't there, I'm trying to remember, something mentioned about like a septic tank or something like that or a house, under a house? There is. This is April, Michael's sister. There is a young man who lives less than 10 miles from us um, who is one of our suspects. His name comes up all the time. Um, He has some rental property on his land. One of the rental properties, there's nothing there but the land itself. And um, we did get a warrant, and they went out there on his property with the um, um, foothill dog. Right. Uh, the dog pick up on a fence, but when they dug it up, they said that it was um, picking up the smell oh. from the septic tank, but they never opened the septic tank. They said they would have to get another warrant to be able to open the septic tank. And um, my mom knows this. Everybody knows this. I make it very known that. I have issues. If a dog hit on something and you think it's a septic tank, you should have opened it to make sure that it was hitting on, you know, not a body, but just fecal matter itself. That's like what they told us. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I still fight that battle every day. Wow. Well, if nothing else, I mean, if the dog's hitting on that, the, the, there's at least enough to raise a suspicion. And yeah, maybe it's aggravating and have to go through all that troll, but at least if you do it and there's nothing there, at least it's done. At least you know that there is nobody there. Yeah, and because, not only that, they, the day they went out and dug up to get to the actual septic tank, um, the gentleman who owns the property, he went to jail that exact same day for interfering with a, um investigation because when they got there, um, he was um, beside himself and mad because they were there and he had, they had to take him to jail for, um, you know, interfering so they could even do that part. You got two signs there. You got dogs hitting and the landowner mad as fire because you're there. Wow. And the gentleman talking about, he was in jail when we first uh, filed the missing person report. Right. He agreed to take a polygraph test in jail. And when they arranged for Sled to come down, he refused. Mm-hmm. And then when they went to his land, he shows out. So, you know something, or you did what you're supposed to do. Wow, that's, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. How long ago was that? Oh, well, his name has came up every year for six years. Um, was it was that kind of towards the beginning of all this when he first disappeared, or was there a decent amount of time that lapsed? Um, he was in jail. The gentleman, um, the suspect, was in jail in the very beginning. Um, then he got out, and then he went back. Of course, you know, he has an addiction, too, so he was in and out. Well, he did then, but since then, he is now a, a preacher. Um, I, I have to pray about that every day myself because that bothers me as well. But anyway, if he has been – his name has came up every year for six years. Hold on, my nephew's coming in. All right, I'm sorry, but um, every year for six years, and the first time my brother first went missing, um, the gentleman was out of um 
jail. Then he went back. He's been just as much as my brother has. These people we all ran around with. We've all been in school together. My brother and I are only 17 months apart, and I'm the oldest. But we all know each other. So all these were supposedly his friends. Um, but this young man also has been um, investigated for two other deaths that supposedly happened on his property that um, not real sure what the turnout was that was or how he got out of it, but he is still a prime suspect in those cases as well. Wow. Wow. You know, and it's, we have to go by there. Oh, I went by there the other day. And to know that for six, almost six years, somebody's name's been called over and over and over, and your son's death, it's hard to even go by his house without wanting to do something. But I know I can't. But that's what we live with, knowing that he probably knows. He may not have done it, but he knows, and there's nothing we can do. Nothing. And- I go by. I have to go by his house every day. Well, he lives way back in the woods. to go by his driveway. But for me to go to work every day, I have to go by that road. And his wife sits at the end of the road every day with his child waiting on the school bus. And it's, I just want to stop and just say, hey, do you know? Because I'm sure she knows because they've been married since some of this happened. But, yeah, it's a lot. And, and that's the hard thing. And that's one of the things that. You know, Mike and I try to use with social media, not just trying, you know, spread the story, the awareness and, you know, getting out there to more people, hoping that maybe we'll get lucky and somebody will have a piece of information and talk with us. But also, I think that a lot of people just don't really understand what the families actually go through. No. And, right. you know, in this country, I always liken it to a quiet epidemic, the, the amount of people that are missing in this country. It, it is. Hey. Yeah, it's a staggering, a staggering statistic, and it's kind of one of those situations where it's almost like I think people look at it. Well, if it doesn't affect me or happen to me, I don't really think about it. And you know, I, I understand that's human nature, but you know, the vast amount of people out here, just like y'all, that are dealing with this, not knowing all. I mean. It, it, People just don't understand the, 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 the stress and the anxiety and the anguish that families like you go through every day. And I really feel confident saying, you know, time doesn't really make that go away too much. It doesn't. No, because you have no closure. You know, it's like I tell, I still work full time in my daughter's birth, and I tell my coworkers, it's like you wait every day for a phone call. You just live. And then you, when you go down the road and you see a bald-headed man, he was bald-headed, you're thinking, is that him? Well, is he alive? Did they kill him? You know, and all these thoughts go through your mind every day. And right. last weekend, we went out to Columbia to the missing persons thing that Richland County had. And we met a family there that her brother had been missing 20 years. They charged the boy with his murder. And the boy, the jury hung because they didn't have nobody. And I'm like, how terrible is that? How terrible? And, you know, without remains for Michael, we're probably going to be looking at the same thing. If we don't have any remains and they charge somebody, they're probably going to walk. And I think that would be when I'd probably lose it, me and my daughter, but knowing they did it and nothing's going to happen to them. You know, I don't think people realize how much, like you said, how much it really hits the family because, if I go on vacation with my family, my mother, I used to take my mother and my brother's grandkids with me. 
no matter where we are, whether we're in a different state, if we're on the beach, we're always still looking. We always go to the homeless communities and look for those. Um, down in the Myrtle Beach area, we have a young lady who we meet up with and talk with her and help her pass out stuff to the homeless just so we can be involved and get his face out. I mean, you don't get a vacation because you're still working to find some some answer to some questions. Right. And you're the first one I've ever heard say it in that way that no matter where you go, where you are, you're always doing that. You're always looking. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And You know, I go down wow. with flyers. My car, I carry a folder with flyers. I'll hand them out periodically. And I go on where they say Michael's remains are a lot because I got on the back of my car that my son's missing his name and how many, you know, 2017. Just so they'll see me over there and they'll know that we're not giving up. And I'm still riding around just looking. I told my daughter. By there yesterday, and I saw one of our suspects, and it about made me sick to my stomach just to see him sitting there when he probably knows where Michael's at. He knows where my son's remains are, but I do it just to let him know, hey, we're still around. We said we're not giving up. Well, and, and that's the main thing, you know. You, I know it's hard and it can be difficult at times, I'm sure, but you know, you never should and you don't want to. Mm-hmm. That you know. That being said. You know, again, I just don't think people really realize and truly understand just, you know, how nerve-wracking and how tiring and exhausting this type of situation is for a family. There's a word. Right. You know. And, you know, with our situation, it seems like every time um, we get a, a good tip or a good lead and we start having some action on the case, something always happens with these three suspects, like, the day that um, Michael with Loudwater went out on the river, that following what weekend, Mom? That following weekend, two of the suspects live on the same land. One of them owns the land. One of them had a camper pulled on the land. Well, one of the guys that lived there, his camper burnt to the ground. And because we are a small community here in Pelzer and Wimpson, it was all over, you know, it was rumored and gossip and all over Facebook and I reached out to Michael and telling Michael about it. I said, you know that wasn't an accident. It didn't happen by accident. Somebody's getting ready to talk. Somebody's feeling the heat, and they got mad. Interesting. Yep. Mm-hmm. Very right interesting. On the ri- right on the river where Michael was um, doing on the um, cameras. Wow. Yeah, when Michael first went missing, every time we would go ride around on the Mill Hill, somebody's house would burn, somebody's crop. It was always something that's if we showed our faces over there or was on the news or whatever, somebody's house was going to get burned mm-hmm. there, always. And I hated it. Now, we didn't want our house to get burnt, but if we knew people were talking and they didn't like it, so somebody just showed them up. Yeah, so somebody trying to use some scare tactics or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. And it worked. They showed them up. Wow. What, uh... You would think for, I mean, first I was always ain't a lot of money, but for an addict, that's a lot of money. And you would think they would talk for it, but they'll tell everything but to tell us where Michael's remains are. We've heard that Michael's been put in a meat grinder. We've heard that they... Turtle hook. Turtle hook. He's in a mattress. Uh... They burn him, and they couldn't burn him good enough. They in the river. Him, he's in the river. 
we've heard it all about Michael. And, and you know, sometimes your mind, you get to wondering, well, did they do that? Is he here? But I don't, what? I I believe it's Michael's mom. I believe he's in that water somewhere. I believe they threw him in that water. Right. And typically the, the gut doesn't lie. <laughs> uh, you know, mamas usually know everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I just, like I said, he's in that water. Well, you said something just a moment ago, and I liked what you said because I don't think, again, a lot of people understand this part of it either. And and let me say that you know, social media can be a good thing. Social media can be a horrible thing. Yeah. With that being said, I don't think a lot of people understand what – families like you are going through the anguish or, or the emotions you go through when you start hearing all these possibilities that could have happened. And oh, good yeah. Lord. I know where I work, um, they offer grief counseling. And I went and talked to the lady one time. And I said, you know, I, said, I, I believe that Michael was tortured. And I said, Sometimes that weighs on my mind so bad that before he took his last breath, that he was just tortured. And she said something that just kind of eased my fears. And she said, you know, Jackie, God, he designed the body and the brain is powerful. She said, and I think when a person is being physically tortured, their brain just shuts down and they don't feel it. And that brought me more comfort is, you know, God does design us. We made in his image. And I believe in my being tortured, like they say they did. I just have to go with what she told me to find comfort. He didn't feel it. You know, he might have for a little while, but he didn't feel it. Right. Well, and that was that was a good way for her to put that. Yeah. You and know, I think as a, as a sibling, people don't understand the sibling side because I haven't grief for my brother. I haven't had the opportunity to do any of that because I'm so mad and so livid and want him home because my parents are, you know, they're not getting any younger and neither am I. And my daddy's worst fear is when something happened to him and my mom and them not having closure. So I battle every day trying to figure out how we're going to get answers and closures to the grief side having to hit me. Wow. Yeah. and You know, in this is something Michael always says. It's, I guess it's kind of like his motto with the company Loudwater is, you know, if you know something, say something. Absolutely. And there's always, there's almost no way you can ever convince me or Michael any way otherwise that there's never a time in any of these type of situations or any type of crime for that matter that somebody doesn't know something or somebody didn't see anything. Absolutely. And, we had a girl that I think knew something, and she tried to talk to me that she'd beat around the bush. But I think she knew what might happen to Michael, but all of a sudden she was given some bad heroin and died uh, at her daddy's table, of all things. She died at her daddy's table with some bad dope. Oh, wow. That, wow. That, that's just, but I think she knew something. Well, and you know, the, the sad thing is, even though, I mean, you know, somebody could do something anonymous, anonymously, you know, report something or, you know, pass the proper information along. They could pass it on to us. I mean, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But still, you know, those groups, those type of people in those circles, 
they're scared to do that because they, they in their mind, they just know if I say something, they're going to know exactly who said it. Mm-hmm. And I, th- that's kind of frustrating. I know it's frustrating for you. It's definitely frustrating for us and us having been in law enforcement because, you know, <laughs> j- just say right. it be done with it. You know, it's just like, and I hate to say this, but in this society that we live in now, the, the, the respect for your fellow man is just, it's diminished greatly and it's just really not there anymore. No, absolutely and, not. And and it's even compounded more when the situations like this, and here you are, the mother, the sister, this family, and y'all are suffering every day. And you know, you know, these people see this, you know, they know that. And I mean, goodness, but they don't care enough just to say what needs to be said and be done with it. You know, write it on a piece of paper and drop it off somewhere for all we care. But absolutely, we've know. even asked went on Facebook one day and just told them write it in the street. Just right in the street, put it in my mailbox. Do what you have to do. Just tell me. But they won't. And you know, at this point, me and April both, we've kind of, and my husband, we, it don't matter who done it. I mean, it does, but it don't. Just tell me what you did with Michael so we can get some closure. Absolutely. And the rest, taken care of. It might not be taken care of here, but it'll be taken care of one day. You're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. That's right. And I hate it because, again, you know, since we started this whole thing, you know, the the, the families that, that we talk to every day, obviously the same situation, you know, someone's missing, looking for help. And I think the, the more aggravating part for he and I is we, we seem to hear the same thing over and over, kind of like we said a little bit earlier. They just they don't feel like they're getting any help or any help from the, the law enforcement agency that's investigating. You know, we've even had some that have talked about how, they never get contacted back by that agency and they've called, they've left emails. And I actually even had one that said they were literally cussed out by the investigator and pretty much said, you know, to quit calling me so much. And Well, we had that, um, our sled, sled dropped us and said that we were a cold case. The tip that we got in three weeks ago, the gentleman and I that made the tip, he, um, him and I went to school together. Uh, when he called to make the um, tip known to the detective, the detective told him that um, he was pretty much dealing with a cold case. And, and I'm, yeah, I, I don't care how if you got a tip, let's follow up on it. I was about to say, so w- w- what is that supposed to mean? Just because it's a cold case. Uh, well, it blowed off and nothing was done. I even called exactly. down there on the street and asked them if I could get a permit just to walk through the town of Williamson with a sign with Michael's information on it. They told me I couldn't do that. That was against the law. I said, what? You tell me why. She's got to, we let you, there's going to be other people wanting to walk through town with signs. There's nobody missing in Williamson except for Michael. Why would anybody else want to walk through town with a sign? To me, that don't make sense. I'm not protesting. I just want to walk through town with a sign to keep his name out there. They well, told me no. Actually, and I might be wrong, but last time I remember, we were still a free country, and that that's freedom that's of speech. Right. That's right. You're that's right. Well, and I, I don't know. I, I'm just liking it. My last three years of law enforcement, I was the chief of police. If somebody had walked through town with a sign on there about something like that, I wouldn't have done anything. That's not hurting anybody. There's nothing vulgar. They're not, you know, accusing anybody of anything. You're not impeding traffic, causing any issues. That, that's your right. It's the same thing as, you know, people, as a law enforcement officer, people can cuss us out as a police officer and call us names. That That's not illegal. 
Right. So walking through town with a sign about your missing child is not illegal. That just sounds like they just don't want any stir trouble stirred up. That's what I think too. Because wow. after we did that, uh, April said there was something on the Winston police page about not putting your name on the back of your car. Well, our detective's name's on the back of my car, and Michael's name's on the back of my car. So I'm not taking them off. That's my car. I'm not taking them off. And it doesn't. Oh. Just, don't, they don't, and that was after our loud uh, Michael. That was after our interview. That all that came up, and I was told no, that I couldn't walk through town. But I'm going to walk through town. All they can do is come and put my sign up and get my car. Well, I would absolutely ask them to, and it's not going to be any kind of a state or federal law. So I would ask them to produce a town ordinance that says that I I can't walk through town with free speech. That's right. Because I thought that, we still like to do that. Wow, 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 wow. But I thought we just stirred up a hornet's nest, and they just wanted to say, hush, hush. Well, I'm sorry. We, we're learning different stuff all the time that we can do, and Michael and you was one of the things that we're trying. We're going to keep trying stuff till we find mm-hmm. out where Michael's at. And I think our detective has gotten tired just because there's so much going on, and I actually live right in the town of Wilmington. Mama lives in the county, but I'm right in the town. But we have a lot going on in our police department. We just got a new chief of police. Our detective just got promoted to lieutenant. So there's a lot going on. And, you know, they're trying to keep us quiet and peaceful. As, you know, which there has never been not peaceful. It's just We just want to keep his name out there and let people know that we're not giving up. Right. And I tell you what, and I'm going to say this, and again, speaking from, you know, my past experience, sure. you know, in situations like this, Something turns into a cold case. I absolutely get. I absolutely understand. There's not a whole lot you can do when you don't have a whole lot to work with or, you know, no new leads coming in or, you know, unfortunately, you know, law enforcement do have to operate under certain laws and guidelines. And even though it's frustrating when we know or have a gut feeling, we still have things we have to go by because of, you know, for the legality purpose. But that being said, at the very least, and this was something, you know, my guys at this last agency I was with, they were all pretty good about this. Just because you don't have anything new, no way, you know, to move forward with the case, solve it, what have you, just taking a moment to reach out to that family and let them know, says, hey, unfortunately, you know, nothing new, no new leads. We just want to let you know we haven't forgotten. Are you okay? Is there anything we can do for you? Just doing something that simple would probably make families like you feel 100% better knowing that they're being empathetic, they're being professional, and letting you know that, hey, you know, we're not kicking you to the curb. Absolutely. But we find this time and time again where that doesn't happen in these agencies or these investigators, what have you, you know, take it personal when something's said about them or to them or something's questioned. And they keep forgetting who they work for. Right. <laughs> Your tax dollars pay for that position. Your tax dollars goes into that budget that funds what they do. I'm not saying for them to go out there and work a miracle, but at the very least, just let you know that, you know, I'm a professional police officer. I do care. I'm I'm sorry that's happened. I'm sorry I don't have any more information, but, you know, we we will keep it. We'll keep working. If something comes up, we will do something. Yeah, and, you know, I both know, you know, life goes on. People – their lives continue to do whatever. 
And we know our detective has a life. We get that. But like you said, just two minutes out of, if you do once a month, let that family know, hey, I'm here, you know, without them having to reach out to them all the time. We usually do all the reaching out. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, just, you know, hey, thinking of you guys, let you know that your name's still here, whatever, something small and simple. You know, and one thing that aggravates me is we go and have a meeting uh, probably every two or three months. That we initiate. Yeah, with, yeah, that we ask for with our detective. And he's always got this bucket of papers laying on his desk. Well, look at all these cases. I don't give a rat's tail about all them cases. I'm sorry for those people, but I'm here about my son. I right. don't want to hear about who you are. I don't care. And that's something that aggravates mm. me every time. And probably the next time we go, I'm just going to have to tell him. I don't want to hear about those people. I don't. I care about them. I'm sorry for whatever they're going through. All I want to see on your desk is Michael's case. That's all I want to see. Right. And absolutely. Why I'm here. That's all I want to see. And all that is, and I hate to say it and hate to call somebody out on it, but that's just, that's just an excuse. You know, I've got all this, look what all I'm doing. I've just got so much on me. I understand. I mean, I I do. I absolutely understand that, but that, that doesn't matter. You have, a family member of a victim, what matters is that person sitting in front of you, you know, be sympathetic to the situation, be professional, you know, be genuine, be caring. And if you do have 5,000 cases in front of you, guess what? Put them on the back burner for five, 10 minutes. That's right. Take care of that family, then move on. But this is time and time again. Oh yeah. When Michael first went missing, we had a different detective. But this is before we felt like Michael had been hurt at that point, but we really, we didn't know what to say. So one of the first things he said was, I keep hoping a deer hunter will find him. Find what? What are you talking about? You know, that's what we, because Michael hadn't been before to miss him, what, a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks. What do you know that we don't know? You know, that's what he told me. I hope a deer hunter will find him. What's he going to find? Wow. And I thought that was very unprofessional. We had nobody even said nothing about Michael being dead at that point. We were like, fine, what? You know, they just they need to think before they speak to these families. Yeah. You we, know, you, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you all get some up to run and hide, but we don't even suspect at that point. And I, we did mention it to our new detective. And he said, well, that was just a poor choice of words. Well, it absolutely I, was. I agree. It sure was. But it was a poor choice of words that last forever. Yeah, you think about right. that all the time. And, you know, you know th- this is kind of one hard thing, and and I'm not defending in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I'm just saying it's something that happens. And, again, a lot of officers just, they don't really realize this. I mean, I was guilty of it a few times myself. But you, you deal with these situations day in and day out. You deal with, you know, these other calls for service, the, the violence, all these things, and you kind of become – I don't want to say jaded, but in a way you kind of are. You just get so used to it, you don't think about things. And a lot of times, you, you know, you just you blurt out what you're thinking. And instead of realizing, you know, hey, I've got you got a victim or family member here. You, you need to be careful. You need to be a little more professional. Yeah, well, I appreciate you saying that because I don't think I've ever heard any past law enforcement, current law enforcement ever admit to that because it's true, I'm sure. Because, you know, Mom and I both work in the medical field, and, it's a whole different story, but you know, when we lose residents and we see families there, we're nurturing and loving to the families and try to be there for them. But at the same time, you come to a point where this has happened so much 
Right. It's kind of going through the motion. I mean, you, you feel and you have compassion, but it's just, it's the same with every family. And I, you know, I understand that 100%. And, you know, and I told them about Michael when Michael first went missing. You know, working in the healthcare field, everybody wants their family member to be first, the only, the first. And I understand Michael can't be the only one. He's not the only one. But when I call you with a concern, don't brush me off. All you got to say to me to pacify me, Miss Frasher, I have took this down and I will look into it. And I'm pacified. I'm saying he's going to do it. Yeah. But April called one out because I called him with a tip and he just kind of brushed me off and I got so upset. And that's what I was talking. All you had to say to my mom was, I'm going to look into it. She would have been happy. You didn't have to brush her off. I um I take after wow. my daddy. My dad has a quick temper and mine does too. And you mess with my mom and daddy, you've got issues. But he, he just kind of made mama feel like whatever she had to say wasn't important. And I pretty much just told him just like it was, you know, we're all taxpayers. We all have a problem. We all have a concern. But when she's sitting right here or she calls you and wants you to listen for two seconds to her cry about her son, I expect nothing the less where you can sit here and listen. Yeah, that's that's absolutely part of the job. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I, I'm, I almost want to say I'm amazed, but at the same time, again, you're another family with, with a familiar story dealing with sure. authorities. And it becomes frustrating on my end, Michael's end, but it actually becomes embarrassing to a degree. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, we we represented that profession for, for many, many years and took pride in it. And you hear and starting to see more and more of this. And uh, it, it kind of it makes us angry to a degree because some of this is so simple. Just simply use your noggin, be a little sympathetic, say – a very simple phrase to these families, and they it would go such a long way. Absolutely. So many of them just take very quick offense, get on the defense about it, and become very secretive. And I understand there are certain situations, in, especially in open, ongoing investigations, that there's some things you don't talk about or mention. I'm Yeah, we, we get that. But when a family's just wanting to know what's going on, where you at, blah, 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 you don't have to be secretive. Let them know it's it's a free country. Number one and number two, that's their family member that's missing. That's right. That they deserve to know what's going on. And I get so frustrated when I hear these type of stories because what they don't understand, you know, just like these people that are saying all these bad things that may or may not have happened to this missing person that gets the family upset and concerned. Mm-hmm. Well, you got the same thing here. You know, law enforcement is not doing things the way they should or they're not being sympathetic enough or they're being, you know, defensive, all these type of adjectives you can throw out there. And they're actually compounding the situation and making it worse. When just a, a lot of people like to throw judgment and say, well, you know, my brother was an addict. Um, he did this and he did that. Um, his mother raised him that way. And I have come many, many years telling my mom and my dad, especially my mom, because he, she struggles with it big time is we were both raised in the same household. We're 17 months apart. I never chose that lifestyle, not giving myself a pat on the back by no means. However, she raised us both the same way. He chose the path he took, but he's still ours. And we're going to love him and support him, whether we have him right here in front of us or 10 miles away. But he chose that life, but we're not turning our backs on him. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. That that is your son, that's your brother. That's right. You know, I I was actually speaking about something on a uh on a, a separate podcast that I do. But y'all hit on something right there, you know, just because of somebody's past, you know, what they became when they grew up, what they got into, what have you. But that being said, you know, somebody's past, somebody's background, what they've been into or not been into, gotten in trouble, what have you, that doesn't determine their worth on whether or not or how a situation or like this, a, a case, should or should not be worked. That's right. You have one. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say, I, I talked with a few ladies earlier this week out of a situation out of Maryland and found out or was told that one of the law enforcement officials actually told a few other people about this particular missing individual that they they knew about him, knew his background and the problems and troubles they had had with him. So this was stated this particular individual said that was not going to put a whole lot of effort into looking for this guy mm-hmm. because yep. of the situation. And now that he and I are starting to hear things similar to this more and more, that it's almost a fear or a concern. Is that truly how it is across this country that, you know, a lot of officials are looking at things depending on who or how it is as to what they're going to put into it. Right. And, and that's wrong. We've heard when Michael first went missing, even in, well, let me tell you, Michael's Facebook disappeared. Just disappeared. We didn't take it down. We didn't ask for it to be taken down. It just disappeared. Thank yeah. God we got all his pictures off. But before that, it was mentioned in his Facebook about uh, the Dixieland Mafia, the Mexican cartel. When we brought it up with Anderson County, uh, I guess he's the chief head of all of it, he told us there was no such thing. we like, really? There is. Yeah, there is a Mexican cartel. Yeah, there is a Dixieland Mafia. Oh, and yeah. to us, we think they're scared of them. The law enforcement are scared of these people because they're dangerous. You know, it's a, it's a big ring of, of drug people. And they, and they just scared them. Because every time we bring it, there's no such thing. Well, it was on the TV the other night about the Mexican cartel. So how can it not be so? Wow. How, how can you tell me it's not so? Hmm. Well. So I understand. But getting back to Michael, it don't matter. Michael could have never done anything. He had to kill me so that I couldn't love him before I would have stopped loving him. That would have been bad. Right, right. And, you know, I hate to hear people say, he's just a drug addict. He's just an old drug addict. You know what I tell them? He's got a mama somewhere. She's got a mama somewhere that loves her. So we need to love them too and quit calling them that and pray for them. Because somebody somewhere loves them. And we don't keep loving Michael until we find what happened to him. Yeah, I, if they just let have one little bone. You know, and that's like Sled told us. We didn't need to do DNA because Michael's got DNA on file with the prison system. Well, this thing we went through to a couple of weeks ago, NAMA told us that we did need DNA, and they took our DNA. Because they said, suppose they find a bone fragment, you know, of Michael, 
and there's not enough there to really match. But then they got hours to compare right. it to them out to get a match. But sled, our sled told us we didn't need it. And then all of a sudden we do need it. We've needed it all along. Wow. That's, mm-hmm. huh. Yeah, the more you start going around the different things, the more you learn. Yeah, and unfortunately in this world and using the internet and social media too, you can ask one very simple question and you're going to get 10 different answers or 10 different ideas. That's right. And I know that is so frustrating. It's especially for the family because you're experiencing something you've never experienced before, you know, involved in something you've never had to deal with. So obviously you don't have a clue. You don't have an idea. You're looking towards the authorities, you know, the professionals, those that are trained in these particular things to tell you and help you. And unfortunately, God, I hate to say this, but many, many times the, the, the wrong information is conveyed to, to the family's victim or the victim's family. Right, right. And a lot of times, unfortunately, is that, you know, these families don't even know that or realize that until, you know, a few years down the road and kind of like this, you're finding out, well, actually, we should have done that. Yeah, and I, I hate that. I'm sorry that some of this stuff has happened to y'all. I know it's frustrating, and of course it's compounded even more because you still you don't have answers, and you're not any closer to anything you were almost seven years ago. Right? I don't think we're no closer wow. than we were starting. I really don't. I think it's it's been a vicious cycle of the same names, the same rumors, to the point now. You know, I usually text our detective maybe. At least once a month. And he'll say the same old stuff. Well, you know, you might need to put down all that you've done done and just start all over. Just start fresh with this same old stuff. Because for six years we've been getting the same old stuff. They've got something. To me, there's got to be something in between we're missing. There's something missing. And it's just been labeled as a rumor. That's what we get now. It's just a rumor. Same old people. If you text him today, have you got any new information? Same old stuff. Same old stuff. Wow. And it probably is. But there might be something to that same old stuff. And that's actually what we're doing. My mom has just um, talked about a week ago. We're going to start trying to go back from day one. And we're going to start writing our stories. And she's going to write what she remembers. I'm going to write what I remember. We have um, another young lady who's involved with us. And get her to write what she remembers. So we can start comparing. And that way, you know, as time goes on, we can keep a record of what we reported and what we found and what the detectives told us just so we can keep a better regulation of, you know, the storyline of where we are and what we need to do from this point forward. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. Y'all do that. And, you know, however long it takes, once y'all gotten that done and you have everything to compare, reach back out to Michael and I, we would be more than happy to, you know, set up a time, get together with y'all and let us look it over too, because, the, the, the more eyes, the the more noggins that are trying to figure things out, the, the, the better the opportunity or better the chance that, you know, somebody somewhere is going to see something that somebody else may have not have seen or thought of. Right. Oh, I hope so. We're praying for the day. Wow. I don't know if it might be, but we just keep praying. We keep saying today, every day I wake up, I say, maybe today. Maybe today. Well, and if it I- Pray and work through to the next day. I understand. And I, again, you know, we, we, we hate, and not just you, but, you know, all these families that are going through this, I, I can, wow, yeah, I just, 
as much as we see it, talk with families and deal with it, you know, we, we still can't imagine how this feels. And I know it's probably got to be obviously one of the worst situations a family goes through. It's a nightmare. I, I can understand. Well, well, Jackie, April, is there anything else y'all uh, want to talk about? Or anything you want us to know about or convey to anybody? Or? Um, one of the only other concerns I had from the very beginning of the investigation was um, when my brother went missing, he was supposedly staying with a buddy of his. But, you know, Michael was from here to there. So I was able to go get all his belongings and his guitar, which he went nowhere without, um, without it, and his um, tambourine. And then I have his cell phone charger and clothes, but his cell phone never showed up. They pinged his cell phone, and with two different investigators, we got two different locations. One said it pinged in Anderson near his ex-wife's house. One said it pinged in Belton. Um, I have asked throughout the years for us to be able to get records at those phone records, um, but I have not been able to do that. I'm just trying to figure out how you can get a ping. I mean, I, I could get it if it was like, Anywhere like five miles from each other, but we're talking across the town, two towns at that. Hmm. What uh, what what type of phone can you remember? I'm sure it was one of those prepaid. I think it was just like prepaid. I can't remember. I can't remember off the top of my head. But if I see if I could get copies of all those records, so they were able to ping that number, I probably could find figure out that you know it's probably one of those prepaid phones. I'm sure. Right. Okay. And what that outfit was wanting to know, you know, I'm concerned about too, is they said that they subpoenaed Michael's Facebook and got, you know, all his stuff. And when we asked them, was there a lot of drug activity on there and names on there, they told us no. And we know better. So what happened? Because that was how he did his stuff through his phone. What happened to all those records? Why don't they go back and look at that and look at the names in there? And why can't we get copies? Why can't we get copies of that? Huh. That's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. And this was from <laughs> Williamson PD? This yeah. is from Williamson and Anderson County. <clears throat> okay. Because we know that was his, um, I guess you could say, how he made his deals was through his phone. And we know that stuff was on there, but they claimed nothing. Well, the only thing we got was, well, did you know your son liked women? Oh, yeah. yeah, we did. And the trashier, the better. We know that. But we didn't, you know, we don't care about that. What else did you find besides that? And we know the word nothing is not acceptable because when Michael was around, his phone was nonstop, 24-7. Really? Huh. But they're saying that there's just there really wasn't anything on it. That's yeah, what they said. And then it disappeared. Wow. It's so, disappeared. so y'all don't know who has the phone now if it's still even around. We don't. Do you know? I know you said in prepaid. Do you know if you got it like from like, like from Walmart or? I just wonder if it was like the, the straight talk or or who it might have been through. Right. I think it was straight talks. I can remember there was times I had to go buy minutes up here in Williamson. Now that Mama said that, that there was a straight talk store back then. Okay. 
Well, I've got a, I've jotted a few notes down here. Uh, well, ladies, um, if there's not anything else, yeah, I, I appreciate your time. I, I hate y'all are going through this. I, and um, I'll, I'll reach out through my brother's um, bring furniture home and give you my number as well so you can have it. Okay, okay. Well, good deal. Well, ladies, again, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. If there's ever anything we can do for you guys, you know, help answer questions, anything of that nature, y'all know y'all can reach out to us anytime, day or night. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, you're very welcome. You ladies have a great weekend. All right. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Well, guys and gals, I told y'all you would probably enjoy that interview with Miss Jackie in April. I hope you did enjoy it. Two lovely ladies. I, I absolutely hate what they're going through and what they're dealing with in that whole family. A very difficult situation, especially as, you know, time goes on and years pass. You know, we're almost at the six-year mark with the situation. Uh, I told you, you know, those two would say what they felt they needed to say. And I absolutely admire that and appreciate that. I mean, it's the only way to be, you know. Don't hold back, say what needs to be said, and move on. You know, they're dealing with a lot of aggravation and frustration, you know, the, the anguish of just not knowing. At this point, you know, they just want their brother back. They want their son back. You know, who cares about this, you know, the whole circumstances at this point? You know, even one of them even mentioned, as you heard, at this point, we didn't care if somebody gets prosecuted or charged or not. Well, we just want him back. We want closure. You know, and as always, there's always somebody out there that knows something. All they got to do is say something. You know, and it could be as simple as, like we mentioned, you know, just write something down anonymously and stick it in a mailbox. You know, contact Michael and I. You know, we, we don't care. Anonymously, you know, come up with a fake Facebook page. Well, who cares? You know, just simply get the right truthful information to somebody that can get it to the authorities so they can finally solve this case, bring closure to this whole situation for this family and help them be able to close it out and move on. You know, I know you heard what they mentioned or talked about some of the frustrations they had and something I hadn't really thought about before. And but but when they said it during this interview, it absolutely clicked. And I got to thinking, I mean, you know, oh, wow. But that was the thing about what they were talking about, how, you know, mother told me they, they heard that this happened to, to, to Michael or this happened to Michael or he may have been thrown in here. He may have been buried there. You know, all these horrible things and the countless other families across this country of ours that have gone through that same thing, and especially when people are getting on Facebook and saying that crap. What people aren't stopping and thinking about, and honestly, I'm kind of guilty of it. I hadn't really thought about it that much that way. But it, it's, it's compounding that anguish, that anxiety, that stress, that hurt, when you're hearing people saying some of these things, because now, obviously, you know the family, all the different members are sitting there thinking, well, what if this did happen to him? Or what if that did happen to him? Or, you know, what if he, what if he is there and he's been there this whole time? That's, that is, is stressful. That, that's difficult because... You know, some of the things that get described and not just here, it, it could be in other cases, can be, for lack of a better way to put it, a, a very violent means to an end for this individual. So now this family's thinking, well, if that did happen, oh, my dear Lord. 
And like you heard her say, you know, one lady had told her about, you know, well, you know, it believes that the mind is able to shut things off when something tragic is happening to you or, or you know, something traumatic and and probably didn't really feel anything anymore if something bad did happen to him. And I know that helped Miss Jackie out a lot. And I appreciated her saying that because, you know, it's good that there are friends, family, coworkers, what have you, that, that think in those terms that do care, do care about these families that are going through these things and, and try to do and say things to, to comfort them and help them. Because goodness knows, and especially Mike and I, having been in law enforcement those, those years, the world could use a little bit more of those type of people. And we know they're out there, but sometimes it just takes a little jolting for, for them to come forward and decide it's time for them to step up and do something and help somebody in need. But, again, you know, with so much of that, it's I think people just kind of lose sight of things, especially, you know, if it didn't happen to me, it doesn't affect me, so you don't think about it. And, and yeah, that's human nature, so it's not really anybody's fault. But then on the flip side, you know, one of the other things that they were talking about is, you know, the frustration of not really hearing anything back when they try to contact authorities or or when they do, it's almost like they're aggravated that they're having to talk to them again. It's like nothing new or, you know, and it's not just this case. We've had other people pretty much say the same exact thing. And... And I'll say this in a way, again, having been, I'm not trying to defend either side, but I can see it from both sides, especially now in this capacity. Well, number one, you've got somebody on the law enforcement side who deals with things day in and day out. And if they're an investigator, you know, they get a caseload. And if they're in an area where they're busy, if they're in an area where they don't have a lot of, you know, manpower or officers in this department and maybe on top of that is that and they're busy and they get a lot of cases and they get a caseload and they can only do so much i get and understand that and when something becomes cold you're not getting any new leads new any information anything of that nature there's not much you can do i completely understand that the family, on the other hand, doesn't really understand that, or, or they don't see it that way. All they see is, I haven't heard in such a long time, or I've tried contacting and not getting anything back. We've actually had one family tell us that they spoke w with an investigator, w wherever this was, and investigator pretty much just cussed them out and hung up on them. Yeah, that's that's professional. That That's really the great way to handle that. That. Family, that victim, they felt so much better after that one. And that's the problem, that there's, you become jaded, and it's not so much that you just become jaded because you just don't care, it's just because you deal with stuff so much. And this is one thing that I, I can't say enough about that, again, a lot of people don't understand about law enforcement is when you deal with these situations day in and day out, and you go to violent calls of service all the time, and you deal with fight calls, shooting, stabbings, and just so many different things like that, that it's not so much that you become jaded, even though to a degree it is. It's just you kind of become more like you're numb to it because you've dealt with it so much that it's just, you know, it's the same as you and I just going to Walmart, you know, to buy a loaf of bread and, you know, some baby formula. It's just, well, if there is any, I guess China's still holding it. I'm not sure. But it, it, it's just an everyday thing and you don't think about it. 
And it's not so much that that's their fault. I mean, I, I understand that side of it because, unfortunately, I, I've been like that at times. You just don't think. But, again, the, the family doesn't see it that way. The family doesn't understand that. All they see is, you know, they're rude to me or they won't talk to me. They won't contact me back or or the, I can tell they get frustrated or aggravated that I even showed up or I even called. And But what, for the family's sake and what some law enforcement don't think about is all it takes, it's so simple, just a couple of minutes, even if it's just once a month. Yeah, I get it. It's a cold case. You have nothing new. You've got 15 cases piled up in front of you or, you know, or, or what have you. You know, you're on your shift supervisor on patrol and you're running five guys short or, or what. I get all of that. But again, they don't see that the family doesn't see and know all of that. But for you just to take a few moments to show some sympathy and some professionalism and just simply call, even, like I said, even if it's just once a month, just simply once a month, make that phone call. Even better, if you are out and about, you know, just take a couple, just stop by. That would go even 10 times further with these victims' families. But either or, just let them know, say, hey, you know, I'm sorry I haven't talked to you in a few weeks. Just wanted to just check in, let you know. Unfortunately, I'm I'm sorry to say we, we still don't, we don't have any new leads, new any information. I hate it, but we just don't. But I just want to let you know that we haven't forgotten about you. This case is still in front of us. We still relook at things every, you know, two, three, four months. Two or three months is probably what I would do. And, you know, at times when we can, we try to get a fresh set of eyes to look at it to maybe somebody with a different noggin might think of something to see something that we didn't because that is always very possible. But, you know, just take that moment just to let them know that and just simply you know, say it in a way, you know, just and don't be rude about it, but just simply, you know, say, hey, I'm just, just be professional. I'm just Just letting you know. That would go such a long way with these families. There is no doubt in my mind because that just tells them that, you know, just what it says, well, they haven't forgotten about me. And you might be surprised how far doing that can get you and help you in a lot of other ways, in a lot of other cases, and aspects with your job. You'd be surprised at how many people may be more willing to help you in in other scenarios or other situations because the word's going to get out, I promise you, that, hey, you know, that this investigator or, or this sergeant or this officer, this guy, this guy's jam up. He's square. Why? Because he cares about his job. He's organized. He does his job. And, you know, my, my, my friend's family, you know, experienced a, a certain situation. It's been going on for a long time now. They haven't been able to solve the case, but, you know, this guy still checks in with them very regularly just to let them know he's always looking. Unfortunately, nothing new. Let me know if you need anything. And that, that means the world to them. And I promise you that will mean the world to these families and will help you and them in the long run. You know, I, again, you know, what I, I like the th- whole thing that they talked about doing the uh, – the fa- all the family of Mr. Thrasher, rewriting everything that they know about the case and all the different members that were involved, writing their version down or what all they knew or know, and then relooking at things. 
And again, like I said, you know, Mike and I would be more than happy to come look at it and see if we see something or we notice something. But again, doing those type of things, that can apply with law enforcement too, you know. Just every so often, just re-look at things. Every so often, you know, reach out to somebody you know or your shift supervisor or your division supervisor knows at another agency and maybe, you know, they deal with this situation a, a lot more and say, hey, you know, I know you're busy. Take a few minutes. You know, look this over. Tell me if you see anything or tell me what you think. It never hurts to do that. It's always a good thing because, you know, the law enforcement community technically is always there to support and help each other. So you need to lean on each other a little more. But, again, you know, that's just that's my take on things. I hate what this family's going through. I know this is a difficult situation. My heart goes out to them and the countless other families across this great nation of ours. I, I know it's a very difficult thing. I wish, you know, and I'm sure Michael probably feels the same way. I wish we could just snap our fingers and make everything better. And I know most agencies would love to do the same thing too, but unfortunately it's not how the world works. So it, it, it takes doing things like this. It takes trying to use a strong platform like social media to spread awareness, to spread the story, to try and reach more and more and more people, trying to build a community like we have at Loudwater and get it larger and larger. And the same thing with the YouTube channel and building an audience and a community there, and of course with some of the same people. But doing that because, again, in some way, shape, or form, and it may not be every case, but somebody's going to end up seeing, hearing, watching, what have you, and they're going to have the proper information. So that that's why we do that, to keep pushing that. So, again, thank you guys so much. Help us keep growing. Help us keep building this community because the larger we get, the better we can be at things, the more we can do, and the more families we can help try and bring closure to their situation. So, again, just reiterating, Michael Thrasher, missing August 5th of 2017, out of the Honey Path of Williamston area of South Carolina, which is Anderson County. Uh, birth date, 725 of 76. He was five foot six, 130 to 150 pounds. Would have had blonde hair, blue or has blue eyes, would have had blonde hair. But as the mother said, he always kept it shaved. He is a white male. Had several tattoos. Check out the Bring Thrasher Home Facebook page that they've created. You can see and find a lot on there. Or if you know something, you can even you know reach out to the family on there if you want to. But also, there's a lot of information. There's also a lot of pictures, the tattoo pictures and things about Mr. Thrasher on a, a website called The Charlie Project. So check that out. And again, you know, you've heard Michael say this a thousand times. You hear me starting to say it now that I'm trying to get into it and remember it. <laughs> but again, guys, gals. We know people out there have seen things, have heard things. So bottom line, it just simply comes down to if you know something, say something. Thank you so much.